<coughs> I meant share your con the con like that guy you talked to sounds really interesting. I'd like to talk to him too. Oh. That's what I meant. Oh. But sure. Anyway. Sure. Of course. Oh, the mask off. We're ready, ready to go. started recording itself automatically. Okay. Oh, well, good. I'm going to press record on my thing as well. Thank you. If anything happens to this, I'm relying on that. Okay. Thank you. It's my pleasure. <coughs> Can we talk slower today? Because I feel like my mind is not going that well. Absolutely. Thank you. Today we have Walker Dark um, from the United Nations Economic Commission for Europe and he is a sustainable energy consultant. Welcome Walker. Thank you very much for having me. Um, Walker, could you start by introducing yourself um, of what you've been doing at the UN and also prior to that, um, What's your involvement in climate and energy-related topics? Well, once again, thank you very much for having me on the podcast. Um, my name is Walker Dark. I'm, I'm working in sustainable energy at the United Nations Economic Commission for Europe. That may seem that it's very European-centric, but actually uh, there's 56 member states of the Economic Commission for Europe. That includes North America, Central Asia, um, Israel, and even Turkey as well. Um, so what I'm working on is the Carbon Neutrality Project, which is helping governments and policymakers make good, strong policy uh, to get national governments, uh, industry, communities, local governments to become carbon neutral. That's fantastic. Um, can you also share us a little bit about what have you been studying? Because I know you have a very interesting um, trajectory of um, your study and also your travel experience. Yeah, so um, yeah, your, your previous question is about my, my climate credentials and, and how I'm really interested in climate. I'm, I'm a bit of a traveler. I've traveled to over 50 countries in the world. Um, a life goal is mine to travel to them all. Um, and I've been really lucky to study in China. I've, I completed um, a master's in international relations at Peking University. And I've just started a, a PhD in politics and international diplomacy at Fudan University. So my research there is focusing on um, sustainable energy governance, global energy governance of how China will play a key role in that and how all countries working together need to govern energy to make sure that energy is sustainable, reliable and affordable for everyone. That com kind of comes to the question of like, what's your ob observation for COP26 so far um, in terms of um, your PhD topic and also conversations around energy transitions in general, what you have observed and 
see in this um, COP26 kind of negotiations and also um, many other events around this? I think that's a, a really interesting question, you know, because there's so many different answers you can give. There's so many different things going on at COP. There's thousands and thousands of people here, experts, academics, industry, government, and everyone has their own story to tell about whether it's going well or not. Um, for me, there's two key takeaways in that there has been massive progress at, at COP. This is my first COP and things are changing. There are massive commitments from governments, industry, and, and many, many other partners to get to uh, carbon neutrality, to uh, counter climate change. At the same time, it's not enough. It's not good enough, it's not fast enough, and actually what action that is being taken now should have been taken 20 years ago. Um, so, there is, there is a sense that there is progress, but whether it's fast enough, whether it's uh, aggressive enough, it is, is a whole different question. Um, today we have the presidency program um, that is centered around youth empowerment. And also since the beginning of COP26, I also kind of observed that kind of um, trend or that um, sort of vibe um, for people to really, for those world leaders talking to youth um, activists or youth leaders, but also kind of like inviting youth going into negotiations, going into dialogues and really starting this conversation um, between, you know, um, higher leaders, but also like um, grassroots. So what has your kind of previous experience um, with youth um, actions and also how do you see it at COP26 this year? I, I was actually, in a previous life, I was very much involved in youth politics in, in my country, the United Kingdom. I was the youth member of parliament for my city um, and we were elected to represent the young people of our city. We used to go to London and meet our, our politicians um, and try to give a voice to young people and, and make sure their voice was represented and things were acted upon. Um, so I, I've spent a number of years of my life being in these discussions um, as young people uh, with politicians and decision makers. And um, one thing I've learned is that more often than not, it's just a discussion. There's, there's, and actually now we need to be moving towards action. I saw, I, I, I see some interviews with uh, global leaders. I see An Angela Merkel yesterday uh, spoke about how young people should be pressuring politicians to make climate action happen. When actually, I find that quite a shocking statement they're the politicians, they're in power, they should be doing it. It's not up to, it's not up to children, it's not up to the young people to be, to be acting it. It's their responsibility. It's, they create the problem and they should solve it too. It's not, it's not only up to us. Um, as, as for the, the Youth Day, I think it's really, really important for young people's voices to be heard, to be represented, but they need to be built upon. And I think that's 
that's something that, that is truly lacking. I talk as, um, particularly as a white man at COP, in that everyone, well, not everyone, but it is dominated by, by men, particularly in the negotiations. It's dominated by older men, white men, Western, English speaking. And actually, that's a fundamental problem of how we, how we um, act upon and find solutions in that everybody needs to be represented. The better representation, the better solutions can be found. I'm glad you're mentioning that part because um, definitely the lack of diversity in the climate realm is has been kind of like a something that kind of like contributing to the problem um, at root. So, yeah, thank you for mentioning that and. Yeah, if, if I can add add something else, it was j- just on uh, my my morning commute to to the conference. Actually, was that I'm I'm not sure if you saw this, but there was the indigenous people outside the security perimeter this morning, and they they were doing a, a traditional a song, traditional ceremony, um, and it was it was really powerful that they were outside, stuck outside the gates, uh, doing the ceremony to to call for action uh, to protect their livelihoods and it, it was really powerful and the the imagery of of them being locked out of the negotiations while the 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 western dominated by men you know walk by uh, in their suits was, was incredibly powerful and it, it brought people to tears it, it was really very emotional yeah, definitely. And also just like the lack of females um, represent representative um, kind of also coming into the this discussion. So there for the day of um, gender um, that's on November 11th, that's on November 9th. Um, that's also a kind of a huge topic. Um, around gender issues, equalities and stuff. So, circling back to um, kind of your experience back uh, in, in, in Europe and also um, your previous kind of travel experience and studying experience in China, I was curious, how do you find the approach um, of tackling sustainability and energy issues kind of different and similar um, in ways between two different areas. Do you spot any, like according to your personal observation, are there like different issues um, that different regions focus on or how do you feel different parties address this energy and sustainability issue similarly or differently i think that that that's a a big question um and what we're talking about here at cop is that there's you know there's many different nations represented and they they each have their own views on on topics such as sustainable energy the the the, even in in the negotiations in the meetings that i've been to long before cop um the idea of the definition of sustainable energy 
is not universal. What is sustainable to some people is not sustainable to others. So actually, get, getting, the, getting the definition first is often really complicated. Um, however, there are very many similarities between uh, some of the, the leading countries in, involved in, in, the, in the negotiations. Um, for example, in China and, and Europe at the moment, we're seeing uh, pr gas prices rise um, and the need uh, for countries to be increasing their usage of coal, which um, has been problematic, particularly when we're coming to a climate change such as this. And there are, yeah, there's many different there's many common problems and that is related to the global problem of climate change. This is all interconnected, this is all related. This is why uh, nations are having these problems. So the solutions are there, but we need to be scaling them up much, quick, much quicker. And that involves often bringing countries to, to the table that weren't there before. For example, scaling up renewable energy China is the world's largest producer of renewable energy and renewable products. They're making the most solar panels, making the most uh, wind turbines. And actually, countries outside of China need to, be, need to be working together with global producers to be making this transition, this rapid transition, happen. I do also kind of have a similar kind of a sense of um, especially surrounding the international dialogue was that kind of in terms of climate issues it's for sure an international or it's, it's a global thing it's a global problem and the way to work around with this would be to work together and find solutions together but there definitely has been many fragmentation and many misunderstanding between different cultures and different regions. So I think there are just in general kind of more challenges lie ahead um, than what we would normally kind of see just from a from a from a civil um, society. So. Yeah. yeah, and and th this, we we forget often when we're talking about climate change that everything is deeply, deeply political. The injustices in the world are often by design, by our international system, the inequalities. And actually, if we're going to ha if we're going to tackle climate change, we're going to have to tackle all the existing inequalities that make climate change happen. So. These, these, climate change doesn't happen on its own. It, it's a whole mix of things that need to change, that we need to change as a global society uh, to make things more fairer, more, more, more just for, for many, many countries, to bring them up to the level that many countries in the West have had for many, many years. That's so true. Um, I also learned that you are a founder of a um, NGO specifically promoting um, the cooperation between China and EU uh, or Europe in, in general. 
Um, can you talk a little bit more about that and what do you think is kind of the fundamental driving power for this cross-regional、um, cooperation between、um, youth from different geographic areas? Yeah, so I'm I'm really privileged to be co-founder of European Guanxi, which is、uh, an 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 organization promoting European and Chinese understanding.、Uh, we're seeing we we founded this、uh, only last year. We have now over, I think it's over nine hundred、uh, members and counting.、Um, and we we really felt when we started it that there is a growing sense of. Of of a divide between Europe and China, and we hope that we can bridge that divide through mutual understanding, through webinars、um, from both sides of of the continents, to be talking about our cultures, our, our commonality,、um, not only politics but culture, sport, anything,、uh, you name it. Um, so we have、uh, we, we do lots of different things、uh, in this in this NGO,、um, and hopefully、uh, we will be a tiny cog in the works to repair to improve、uh, European-China relations as we go through、uh, the next few years. I find it quite fascinating, just the name of the NGO、uh, kind of featuring Guanxi. Like how subtle it is, but also how complicated, but also how interconnected、um, that issues and peoples are、um, getting into this giant network of、um, just across different geographic scales and also、um, at different topic areas. So, no, you're you're absolutely right, and I think.、Um, Yeah, I mean the, the the name has many different connotations. It has many different meanings, and I think that's symbolic of European-China relations. We need to have that mutual understanding because there is nuance across Europe and China, and actually we need to be learning about this in in education,、um, with people-to-people -people,、uh, cooperation and transfer in society, in study, in work, and actually. It's all part of the learning process. Thank you so much, Walker. I think that brings a very nice conclusion to our discussion for today. And、um, I wish best of luck with the rest of your COP and good luck with your NGO work. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me.